Uh, we are winding down our, our series on relationships, a glorious mess. And, um, and this may be, uh, to some of us, far-fetched. Uh, because we are looking at the whole concept of the church this morning. Uh, but listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 4. As you come to Him, the living stone, the one who is rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, church, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But, church... You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friend, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Let's pray together. Father, we desperately need Your Spirit to come and to speak to us. Some of us have been so hurt by the church that we're just existing in this room this morning. Some of us have been so damaged by those that we have submitted our lives to that we can't even think about submitting ourselves to another authority. Uh, some of us have gone to church for so many years that it's just an institution, it's just a habit. And there's nothing personal about it. And yet some of us, oh God, are hurting and lonely and we know that we need a community. And so I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that you would help us to think new thoughts about you and about your church and even about this church. That you would come by your Spirit and you would allow us to be your church. You are building your church that the world might know <laughs> that you are God. Forgive us, O oh God for not being your church. Forgive us for how we have forgotten our calling. And forgive us, O oh God, for being so selfish that we're so much more about us than about your body. Lord Jesus, would you come and would you correct us in our thinking and correct us in our living, lead us to repentance, and yet lead us, O oh God, to be your people. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Rachel and I have some good friends um, in, in Colorado, and, and, and this happened in, in, in um, Olive Branch as well, and it's happening here. Um, but with our friends in Colorado, we are just we're close. Uh, when our families come together, our children love each other, we, there's a lot of laughter, there's always a lot of feasting, there, it, it's like a, a party atmosphere. 
Um, the husband and I are really close friends, and the wife and Rachel are really close friends, and I can't tell you many hours I've spent with him on a river or in a car on the way to a river or over lunch or, or something talking, and how close we have become. And yet if you look at that relationship, it is close because of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not just the food that we share together. It's not just the fishing that we share together. It's not just the common interests of life, but it's the person of Jesus. Because as we're fishing, as we're eating, as we're living life, we're also processing life through Him. We're, we're vulnerable with each other. We're sharing our hurts and we're sharing our needs. And when the other hurts the other, then there's confrontation and there's reconciliation. And you see, over the years, we have built this bond. We've been through uh, my friend's prostate cancer. Uh, we've been through my brother's death. Uh, we've been through us moving away from, from Colorado. We've been through a lot. And what we see is that this relationship is close... So close that it's inviting. Other people want to be a part of it. And again, everybody in here, I hope and pray, has experienced that, or you're experiencing that right now. You're in this close relationship, and more friends come in, and all of a sudden, other people want in. This whole week, I've been studying this passage, and at the beginning of the week, I was just, it was just hard. Because what it describes is that God is building a church. He calls us a spiritual house and He calls us individually living stones. Now, that sounds real loving and personal, doesn't it? That He calls us living stones. And yet, as I started thinking about it, this whole analogy of a spiritual house and God's building it stone upon stone and Jesus is the cornerstone, I thought, that's how we talk about relationships all the time. What do we say when we don't have community? We say, man, I need to build some relationships. That's construction, building, talk. Uh, what do we talk about when, um, you know, when, 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 um, when there are people trying to come into already established relationships, we need to let them in. Like there's some kind of door, you know, and you know, they're knocking at the door and we can either let them in or just keep it locked, you know. Um, sometimes we say, man, I just need to put a wall up. That's construction terminology. I mean, we talk about our relationships as if it is a building and that's what God is doing. And yet what he's saying here is, is that he is building this, this, this strong, beautiful um, um, community in which he's going to dwell and in which we are so encountered by him and we know him so well that we are all royal priests. You know what the job of a priest is? So let God be known. So the community of God, what we are as a church, is we are simply a bunch of individual living stones that are really royal priests. And it's our job to let, up, let each other know God through us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, it's supposed to be so beautiful that the world, God says, take it, go public with it. Take it to the world that the world might look at you and criticize you, but over time go, okay, I think I want that. And this sermon was not only hard to, to, to prepare, but it's hard for you to hear because many of you in this room have not experienced that. Matter of fact, the last place you probably look is the church to find that. I mean, some of you are in here saying, I, you know, I'm going to use the church to get married, 
I'm lonely, so I'm going to use the church to find some friends. I'm going to use the church to help me raise my children. But Jesus says, no, you got it wrong. The church is the relationship that you're looking for. It is the community of heaven. Literally, God has given us one another and given us community that we might so learn how to love and serve each other, how to be so tight-knit together as a body that the world stands back and says, you know, we hate it, but we love it. we got to have it. Because we know that it's right. And so, friends, what we're doing this morning is they're, they're probably more exciting sermons to listen to, but there are none more important. Because it is time for the church to be the church, and we have that opportunity at downtown church. We have an opportunity to get over us and to get so deep in each other's lives to be such this, this new radical community that the world says we want in, and we say, come on in, because God's the one building it anyway. Isn't that beautiful? Well, may God give us grace to hear it and be it this morning. Let's look at it. Uh, the first thing that we need to see is the church is God's new community that rests on Christ. He is the cornerstone, the living stone. Now, not all of us are bricklayers in here, and so we've got to work on this a little bit, okay? We, he, Jesus is the living cornerstone. What in the world does that mean? Well... This week I got an email from a really close friend. Um, I've been on the board of a, um, a national youth ministry for 24 years, and it's called RYM. And uh, there we go, somebody knows heard of RYM. Uh, a bunch of us have gone several times over the last few years, and this is going to be a sad announcement to some of us. Um, but at um, RYM, it's run by... Uh, a board of directors, which I've served on, but there's another man by the name of Darwin Jordan who has been on there for 35 years. And he shot out a, uh, an email this week, very short, and said, guys, I hate to, I hate to do it, but I'm resigning from the board. I've, God is just calling me to do, focus my attention on other things and, and their family needs that I need to pay attention to. And it just hit me. I was like, I can't imagine RYM without Darwin Jordan. I mean, he's been there 35 years. I mean, I've never been to an RYM that Darwin Jordan hadn't been at. I've never been to a board meeting where Darwin... He is the cornerstone of RYM relationally. There's a good friend of ours, Rachel and mine, whose um, mother passed away a few weeks ago. And um, everybody that, you know, we went to visitation and uh, Rachel called and, I, you know, we, we contacted our friend. And the big prayer need was pray for her father because he is just, I mean, his wife was his life. She was her, his cornerstone. I mean, in every community, in every relationship, we have those. People that we just can't imagine living without because of the life they bring, because of the part they play. But what Peter is saying is, in the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the life. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the essence of the community, and if you lose Him, you don't have a church anymore, you have a club. You see, it's not that Jesus is a stone. He is the, capital T, capital H, capital E, 
cornerstone. He is the stone that we all line up toward and around and, and, and on. He's the one that if you remove it, it's no longer a church. He is the essence of our life because He is life. You say, well, I've been part of plenty of churches that there is no life. This is why. Jesus is not the cornerstone. He may be one of the stones. And isn't that confusing sometimes when you're part of a, of a church body and, and you, you, you know, you're wondering what's missing and you're, you're like, we, we hear about God, you know, but, but is He the cornerstone? Is He what's being served up? Is he, what, is he the one that everyone in that body is depending upon? Is He the real joy to bring Him out of there is going to mean there is no longer any church. Our staff this week had lunch with a man by the name of Stephen Haynes, and he just wrote a book entitled The Last Segregated Hour. And it's a, the, a history on um, uh, segregation in the church in Memphis. Uh, he is the professor of religion at Rhodes College here in town. It's a fascinating book. And he really chronicles the, the history of the kneel-in movement, which was a movement of um, African-American and white students, primarily at Rhodes, some Memphis State students back then. It was called Memphis State. And um, they came together, and they would go to churches and try to just simply come in and worship. And there were some churches that, uh, that locked their doors. They literally had uh, men that would stand out front, and they would block the doors um, of you know this, this mixed-race group that would come in. This was in 63, 64, 65, kind of that era. And so we were talking about this at lunch and just marveling at the fact that this happened in our city, you know. And we were asking the question, how could this happen? And as I thought about it, it could happen because Jesus in those churches stopped being the cornerstone and He became a stone. Now, before we get to self-righteous, let me just tell you, church, that every church goes through that. I mean, every church is faced with that. That's why it is so hard for us to plant a church that is, is radically different from most other churches. Because all of a sudden, you know what can become our cornerstone? Racial reconciliation. Look at us. And we don't need Jesus because we are racially mixed. We don't need Jesus because we have people that live on the bluff and live on the street. We don't need Jesus because we are Jesus. Look at us. We're doing it right. No. No. I mean, if we're not coming together because of Jesus, then our coming together is worthless. He is the cornerstone. He is the essence of our life. And the only way that we're going to be truly different is if we are at the very core of our, uh, our existence is the reality that we are sinners in desperate need of grace, but grace that has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, this cross is not just a symbol. It is the essence of our message. It is what we preach and what we're about. Why is that true? It's true because of 1 John 4. John said this, Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. 
And He's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Why is this true? Because of what He said in verse 16. God is love. He is love. And therefore, the essence of our community must be love as defined by Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. You see, we even learn what love is from Jesus. It's not just grace. Oh, we overlook stuff here and we're going to get to that in a little while. But it's truth and grace. The only institution, the only, the only body that is full of grace and truth is the church if it's full of Jesus. The very essence of the church has got to be an uncommon love. And the reason this is true as well is because of verses 4 and 5. Of, of chapter 2 of Peter. As you come to Him, the living stone. See the presupposition there? The church comes to Jesus. We gather around Jesus. He's rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. And then verses 9-10, through 10, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Is that not beautiful? He is telling us what our identity is. We are the people of God, and that is radical news. You want to know why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one person is in the family of God because God looked down and said, Yeah, I want you. It's kind of like, you know, when you were picking people for a basketball team and, you know, middle school, whatever. Oh, I want them. You want you picking the best ones? God has picked the worst ones, and it's you and me. And that's why this, this community, the church, is so radical because those that know they should not receive love have not just received love, but they have received the love of God Himself. And we are special. We're a holy nation. We are, we're a special possession of God. And that means something. I was talking to Amy Catherine, our daughter, youngest daughter, recently. I think maybe we were talking about the death of our friend's mother. I don't remember what we were talking about. But she just made this statement. She said, I cannot imagine losing you or mom. And I thought about that. You know, she is so tightly knit with us. She loves us so much that I see it. When we go to Mississippi State to visit her friends, I can't tell you how many times somebody's come up to us and when she introduces us, I said, Oh, it's so good to meet you, Mr. and Mrs. Reeves. I have heard so much about you. Interesting. When we met her boyfriend, Tom, same thing. I've heard so much about you. She has been, she's been declaring the praises of her parents to her friends. She's been spreading the gospel of the Reeves family. Why has God called us together? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. 
Do you see why Jesus has to be the capstone? Because if you're talking about anything else, the church loses its power. Oh man, we got this new building. We got this, we got this young pastor. Not talking about me, you know. <laughs> we've got this cool music. We've got this, we've got this, we've got this. No. We have Jesus and He has us. And if that's not the message, if that's not the, the genuine essence of why we love our church, then we're spreading a false gospel to the world. He has redeemed us not to declare the greatness of downtown church or the music program or the preachers or the staff or whatever. He has redeemed us to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. And we haven't done any of that. Jesus has. Is that the essence of your life? Sorry, I don't know what... I'm hitting something or what, but uh, I'll try to be calmer. Is that the essence of your life? If not, you're hurting the church. Do you understand that? Are you experiencing Christ in His church? If it's our fault, come tell us. <laughs> but if it's your, your fault, repent and come to Jesus. Because He's better than anything else we have to give. He is the cornerstone. And He must be the cornerstone for the church to be the church. Secondly, in the church, God's new community, we need each other. This is an interdependent community. We, um, the church that we planted in Olive Branch, we actually built a church building. And we all know the church is not the building. We are the church, right? And yet, we built a building for the church, all right? And it was a brick building, and I got to watch them lay the bricks. And it was a pretty big building, and you know, you kind of watched it. And it was easy to tell when the church was not complete. The fewer the bricks, the less completion had been accomplished, all right? And, and also, as I was watching, the bricks, I didn't look at the bricks that were kind of laying on the ground or over here in this pile over here. Which are the bricks that I looked at? I looked at the ones that have been laid in mortar and connected to the others because that is the product that we're after. And that's what we're seeing here. You see, we are connected to one another. A brick is no good by itself. Matter of fact, all you can do with a brick by itself is hurt somebody. <laughs> Do you get the message? You are no good by yourself, nor am I. Why is that? Because you also, like living stones, are being built, present tense, present active, are being built into a spiritual house. And that means temple. And there's only one other place that, that God refers to this as to individuals, where He says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's used a lot in weight loss and, and exercise programs. Christian weight loss and exercise. For you are... Okay, that, that's the only place, every other place in Scripture, where um, God is... or, or, or one of His um, writers is referring uh, to the temple or to the church. He's talking about the corporate body. He's saying God dwells in us together. We need each other. Why? A, we need others to know God. I mean, this stuff is so simple. That's why this week I was going... It, it's Okay, my uh, Rachel and the girls went on a retreat a couple of years ago called Chrysalis. 
And um, it was an all-girls retreat, and yet I came like the second or third night and, and gave a um, sermon or talk or whatever. And so when I showed up, they came up to me and they said, Hey, we met this woman that knew you as a child. My first thought was, oh no. And sure enough, said, she has been telling us stories about how bad you were. She, they, this lady told us that you caught a snake and you brought it inside and you were chasing her around the house. And I was like, okay, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, that's one of my better ones. But it was so fun to watch them learn about me through somebody else who had experienced me at another time in my life. Do you get it? You see, that's how we know God. Yes, can you individually study the Bible and know God? Yes, but only just a part of Him. You see, over the last three, four years, you have taught me so much about worship. You have expanded my my understanding of God. I, I can't tell you how much I've grown in the last three or four years in my understanding of God. Why? Because I got out of an all-white, all-middle-to-upper-class church community, and I got around people that I've never lived in and with in relationship with before, and you have taught me so much more about God. And that's how it's supposed to work. That's God's design. This is the picture of heaven. This is where it's all going. Revelation 7, 9. Every tongue, every tribe, every language uniting under the cornerstone of Jesus Christ declaring His praise. You are the Lamb of God. And it's through that as we each from our own cultural perspective, through our own life experience, through our own class of whatever we grew up in, wherever we are, we're pulling each other toward God. And we have, it's not that we have, you know, a a writer understanding, we have a broader understanding. That makes sense. And so the principle here is, I mean, you don't want just a couple of bricks making your building. You want a bunch of bricks connected together. And that's how you know about God. Secondly, or B, you need a family to know yourself. Oh, I wish this weren't true. I can't tell you how my family knows my sin and how they let me know it. Sometimes lovingly. uh, Sometimes just because i got to live with me. Sometimes just out of survival, you know. I have seen who I am because I live in a family. Oh, it would be much easier, you know. But I'd be a different person today than I am today if I'd not had my family, if I'd not had my wife, and they'd be different as well. Why? Because we see our sin, we see our need for change in the midst of relationship. We cry out to God when we realize that we're not as good as we thought we were, when we're not as talented and wonderful as we thought we were, and somebody actually shows us our sin, is used by God to show us our sin, and that's to be the church. Let me tell you something. If you have never been offended here, this may not be the church for you. (laughs) If no one's hurt your feelings, if no one's misunderstood you, if no one's offended you deeply and believe me, in a diverse church, it happens. We say things we don't even realize that we're hurting somebody. 
I preach things that I don't even realize I, I, I'm, I'm hurting, and yet my good friends call me and come to me and say, Richard, that wasn't so good. Because this is how I took it. Something I would never even think of if I didn't have a friend. It's much harder to preach. It's much harder to live. It's, it's much harder to be a part of a church like this. And yet imagine who we'd be if we weren't part of a church like this. You see, we need each other. The strength of the church family is not that everyone thinks alike, looks alike, votes alike, talks alike, likes all the same things. That's a, Again, it's a club and not a church. The reason you declare the Republican Party or the Democratic Party is so that you can come over here with like-minded people and have a voting block. The reason you join the Garden Club is so you'll have people that share all the same likes and, and you can share your knowledge about gardening or a hunting club or a fishing club or a tennis club or whatever club it is. But that's not the church. You see, we come to the church out of need. Our common theme is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I'm one of those all. And yet all are justified freely by His grace. And so I come under the banner of Jesus. This table, these tables, to my right and left, this is our banner. This is our platform. This is what binds us, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, period. And we need that. Because as we see our sin, if we don't believe that my sin is so bad that the Son of God had to come and be broken for me, that His blood had to be spilt, then when you come to me and say, Preacher, I need to talk to you, I'm going to say, Oh man, you need to find another church. You know, you can't, I'm the pastor. No. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you need that too. I received a letter from somebody that left our church, a church, a while, uh, several years ago actually. And as they listed all the things, reasons they were leaving the church, I wrote a letter in response, and my response was, it sounds like this is the exact church you need, because sometimes the church that, that we need is not the church that we want. I hadn't heard back from them. That's the community of God. We have to see our sin, and only our family is going to show us our sin. Why? Because they love us enough. And then lastly, we're the community that lets God be known. I was talking to one of our uh, members recently, this week, as a matter of fact. Uh, we were at uh, Bosco's, and she's a waitress at Bosco's. And they've been scheduling her on double shifts for Sundays. And she said, I just, man, I miss church, and I miss being with you guys. And we, you know, we were saying, we miss you too, and you know, we wish you could be here. And she said, I tell you, I, I ask off, but they just laugh at me. Because, and I shouldn't have said the name of the restaurant, I'm sorry. They're Bosco's owners, or I, I probably just blew this whole, uh... That's right, you don't know which one, even though there's only one. Uh, uh, that's true. Anyway, let me just make a point here. Uh, and I love Bosco's, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Um, I have no idea how to dig my way out of this, but let me uh, let me just say this. Uh, let me give you another example. All right. 
I used to work for an unknown company, okay? Uh, and it wasn't Bosco's. And this was back in college. Um, and if I had gone to my boss and said, look, I really want off for Sunday, he would have laughed at me. Uh, because there was no respect for God at this large company, you know. As a matter of fact, they probably would have looked down on me like, you know, God isn't willing to work. Uh, he's just trying to get out of some work. Um, as I think about that, when I hear stories like that, my heart is grieved um, for this reason. This is how the church typically responds to that. Well, she shouldn't be working on Sunday anyway. She needs to make a stand. Or, she, you know, that company, they just need to be cursed because, you know, the law. Or, you know, that's kind of the, the um, right conservative approach, the kind of the left liberal approach is, well, that's true. I mean, the church is too, it's too strict anyway, and we just need to believe everything. You know, either we're over here saying, you know, everybody that commits premarital sex or homosexuals are going to hell, or that's ridiculous, premarital sex, homosexuality, you know, that's not a sin, they have rights. But here's my perspective. When I hear that a certain demographic of people are rejecting God, I don't curse, or I don't blame them, I blame us. And that, I think, is what Peter is doing here. Because if you look at, at verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, okay, in the world, he's assuming we're living in the world, and we're not this isolated community over here that talks bad about the world. Oh, here we're not the world, but the world's bad and kind of lobs. You know, you're in the world. To, um, dear friends, I urge you, aliens and strangers in the world. And that word there, Greek word, is really resident aliens. In other words, you live in the world. Um, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Fight your sin. Don't be afraid to call sin, sin. But then he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, I mean, they're going to hate you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to go into a world, a lost world, and be truth and grace. We're to call sin, sin, but we are to love so ferociously, we are to love even our enemies. That's what Jesus said, and that's what He did. That's how He saved us, by the way. If you're a Christian, it's because God loved His enemy. And it was you. Isn't that beautiful? And so He sends us out to stand for truth, not to, to be so liberal that we agree with everything so we can just get in and be accepted. But we also don't say, you're bad, we'll have nothing to do with you. We basically say, you're bad, this is why, and we love you, and we're never going to give up on you because God hasn't given up on us. Because guess what? We're bad too. And Jesus loves us. So would you come to Him? Do you see the difference? You see, the church, being the church, has we've got to be in the world or we have no power. But if we're of the world, we have no power. So we've got to be the church that loves the world and yet is radically different from the world and they better know that we love them. Because if they don't, we have no voice. And that's what grieves me. When I hear stories like that, and I, and I think about my own experiences, I don't blame the church because it seems... I mean, I don't blame the world, I blame the church. The world is going to be the world, but the church needs to be the church. 
You say, how in the world can we do that? Uh, it's beautiful. I saw the help again last night. You know the line. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I wasn't going to do it. I said, you know, it's just so good. I mean, Abilene gets in little May Mobley's face. And I thought about this all week, and it's funny, I was just channel surfing last night after we got back from dinner, and it was on, so I blame that, I guess, the providence of God. But Abilene gets a little made by a little chubby white girl's face and says, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important. All week, I've thought about this. You know what, you know what Peter's doing? You was a chosen people. <laughs> You as a royal priesthood, you as a holy nation, you as a special possession of God, you as the people of God. Amen? When we believe that, we become radical worshipers of Jesus Christ. We give up our sin because of His love for us. And we become a different people. We begin to love each other. And we begin to love people that we never thought we could love. Our lives start interacting with people because we share not cultural experiences, not, not even skin color, but the person of Jesus Christ. We have the exact same story. We were lost and now we're found. We were blind but now we see. So, dear friends, draw near to Jesus as the special possession of His. And let's be the church. Let's fight sin. Let's get in the world and not be of the world. But let's serve the world. Let's be a family to those who have no family, to one another. You know why? Because it's here that the, the family that looks like it has it all together finds real life. And if you don't have family... This is your family. And if you have family, this is your real family. Why? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He came to break families up so that He could call us into a different family. His new community. Downtown church, that's what we are, aren't we? Let's go be the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are our banner. We thank You for these tables. Bring us to them now in repentance and faith that we might glory in You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.